Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Stephanie Belouris. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by VP and Principal Analyst Janan Budge to discuss the increasing disconnects between tech and security leaders and how they can be addressed. Welcome, Janan. Thank you. Hi, Jen. Hi, Steph. So wonderful to be here. Hello, everybody. So I guess a good place to start would be what kind of disconnects are we talking about here? Certainly it's not, you know, the importance of the security function. Are we talking about more disconnect on the approach to security? So it's a lot more nuanced than that, Jen. It's many things. It's interesting. I've been in security for the last 25 years and those disconnects have been there since the beginning of time. I've been a CISO myself where I have complained about reporting into technology and I hear many of my uh, CISO clients and friends do the same as well. So those tensions have been there for quite a while. For me, from a research perspective, they've really ramped up over the last six to 12 months and I wanted to dig in and understand why what's happened to really ramp them up. The other thing that I wanted to do in this research and this conversation is because I've been in security for 25 years, I feel like I understand security's perspectives. We're fighting over budget with technology. They don't, they, do you hear how I'm saying that they and us, they're not doing what we want all the time. They don't care about security. So I wanted to take a pause and really listen to technology executives perspective. What is going on for you and what has happened in the last six to 12 months that has caused these disconnects? So with that, the disconnects look so vast. There is the technology executives look at security and they see uh, people who are currently getting more budget than technology. So I've heard some CIOs saying security teams now see themselves as the big shot with budget arrogance. When I've spoken to my security colleagues and friends about this, they've said, oh my God, how the tables have turned here. Uh, technology executives see security teams who are arrogant and really wanting to talk to boards, but not to them as technology. And they see a complete lack of pragmatism and waving a stick and injecting fear, uncertainty and doubt into the organization without any pragmatism whatsoever. Uh, so listening to all of this from technology execs, I was quite humbled and I'd come out of this research interviews going, oh my goodness, what have we done? What's going on here? It was really interesting hearing the other perspective. I mean, the other interesting thing along with the budget and the perceived arrogance, I wonder if that is also as a result of changing org reporting structures. So yeah, I mean, 10 years ago, almost all CISOs reported into the CIO, and now that's not necessarily the norm. Now more and more CISOs report into the CEO um, or other business executives. And even, even when they do report into the CIO, they have this dotted line relationship into the board and to other CEOs. So I think to some extent, our CIOs threatened and also feel competitive with their own CISOs. Correct. And I think that's at the crux of it, Steph. We actually we looked at the data. I remember when you and I started working together all the way back in 2010, and the data was 60% of CISOs reporting to the CIO. 
And we at Forrester and everywhere kept on continuing to predict that that was going to change. It didn't change until 2020, actually. And now we are at a global average of only 33% of CISOs reporting into CIOs. So there's definitely been that shift and CIOs are having to compete for budget a lot more. Security is a lot more visible at the board table and everyone is just trying to catch up, I think, to a new norm and learn how to work together and how to understand each other because they have no choice. Yeah. It's also interesting too, because one of the reasons why we see that change was if, if you look at any high profile breach, some sort of mega breach where you have tens of thousands of customer records or millions of customer records breach and the company looks at what happened, the first thing that they'll change is where the CISO reports, meaning that reporting into the CIO is a little bit like being asked to watch your own boss and report on them. So it didn't always work. So it's just kind of interesting, which is, it's not that necessarily CISOs have always asked for this reporting change. It just seemed from the company's perspective, this is what had to happen. Yes, it's reflective of the maturity of an organization, I guess. And also very interesting, the CIOs that we interviewed. So we had three different responses broadly from CIOs about their relationship with CISOs and about the importance of cybersecurity. So the CIOs that had a great relationship or a positive relationship with their CISO, uh, interestingly enough, were the ones who had the CISO reporting into them. So when we ask questions in the interviews such as, oh, so you feel that your relationship is positive with the CISO, how do you think the CISO feels about your relationship? And that's when we would get a pause like, oh, I've never really thought about that. They report into me. So I've just always assumed that it's a great relationship. So I might go and ask them, which was awesome from a research perspective, but the relationships were good there. They started really breaking down to neutral and terrible when the CISO was not reporting into the CIO. So what are you seeing in that sort of latter kind of organization where the relationship is not fabulous, um, as you would maybe describe it? So just curious. I love that. It's not fabulous. Okay. We'll talk about the not fabulous. So we'll talk about neutral. So there were relationships that were great. And that's where the CIO, where the CISO typically reports into the CIO and the CIO has got, uh, places great importance on cybersecurity. Then there were the relationships that are neutral. They're good enough. But then the comments when I drilled into those interviews is that the CIO saw the CISO as largely a technologist. They are great at their job. They really understand the issues at a very operational level, but they did not praise them as an incredible leader. And then we heard the horror stories. I did sit in on some interviews that I thought, whoa, this is hostile. And I have certainly been part of uh, such teams and such cultures. And the CISO is unfortunately perceived very disparagingly. I had um, a CIO talk to me about a CISO who thought they were God and had many HR complaints raised against them. They talked about their CISO as, and their relationship as a five out of 10 and as a reflection of the CISO's negative attitude, their competency, they are not a CISO, they should have never been promoted. So it went from positive to neutral to quite hostile. 
which I think is reflective. I don't think any of this was too surprising or new, but just hearing it and then having to put the words on paper was really revealing. So in that last situation, it sounds like the CISO is reporting outside of the org and outside of the tech org, so not into the CIO. So then it almost sounds like there's issues on both sides with everybody getting used to this new reporting structure. So on the one hand, CIOs might feel competitive and threatened by this new reporting structure. And then at the same time, it also sounds like CISOs maybe are letting some of this new power go to their head, which is they've lost some sense of being more pragmatic and maybe being a little bit more risk tolerant, which is like your job is not to reduce risk to zero. (laughs) Your job is to reduce risk to a level that is acceptable to the business and then doesn't hinder the business from moving forward and growing. Yes, I think definitely the relationship had broken down to such a point that both sides were not able to see the other's perspective. I know that sounds really simple, but with some of the CIOs, when I started talking about things like burnout and some of the statistics we have, insecurity on the topic of burnout, like did you know about the skills shortage, the huge skills shortage in cybersecurity, how this is impacting CISOs, how it's impacting security teams, about the burnout levels of security. The CIOs very quickly, because we are all human, and when you are presented with facts, it's, oh, is that what they're going through? Is that what's happening? And they started considering the other perspective. So I think just um, there is a big mismatch at the moment between understanding well, why is this? Why is it that the CISO is coming across as not pragmatic? Well, actually, because they're seeing so many cases in the media about CISOs getting fired or getting sued or whatever when a breach does occur. So that is why they are very risk averse. Did you know that? No, we didn't. Okay, now that you know that, what can you do? How would you approach your CISO differently? Even that question where we had, well, what's, um, how do you think the CISO feels about the relationship with you? Oh, I've never thought about it. Let me go and ask. That asking, that very human to human thing is not happening. And it is unfortunately being put down to things like politics and competitiveness. And um, But I think we can move away from that if we can then start working on these matters of empathy and building trust. So actually, before we move on to how to fix this, like what the solution might be, just another thing about the urgency of this. I mean, obviously, no one wants to work in this environment, a toxic environment where people are mistrustful of each other. It can lead to attrition and all kinds of productivity issues. But I think what struck me is, How is this actually impacting the security posture of the organization if you have the CIO and the CISO at odds with each other? Is it leading to gaps in security? Is it leading to vulnerabilities that go unaddressed? Because usually you have the CISO setting strategy and policy and then tech actually having to execute on it and in many cases actually operating all the security controls that lead to protection. So just makes me wonder, like, are these the most vulnerable organizations? Yeah, I think in any situation where you've got people busier with fighting with one another and pointing fingers, then at a very practical level, first of all, the work is not getting done. It's just simply not getting done. And that work, a big part of that work is, of course, the cybersecurity posture. And that can happen also with the security teams not being able to set the strategy because they are so afraid of offending the CIO, of not having people on their side, all of those things, as well as technology not being able to implement. The other interesting thing about what you said, Steph, is that 
in the times where I interviewed the tech execs and they said they had a great relationship with the SISO, almost everybody commented that this breaks down the further down in the organization that you go. So there was a lot of infighting between the teams themselves. And that is where the action happens. That is actually where the operational, the implementation, the execution, the configuration, that's where it's all happening. So that needs to be addressed and needs to be fixed. Like you said, as a matter of urgency, and there's so many positives as well as cybersecurity posture and maturity that happen when the two teams are working together. Almost all CIOs talked about how much they would love to work more with security because they see it as an opportunity to interact with these brilliant people. So they've, they almost all of them noted that whilst they've had tensions, they acknowledge uh, how much they learn from some of the people that they've met in security. They love the innovation that comes with security. They said that it's the one area other than cloud where there is a lot of innovation and a lot of change and that really appeals to them and they're really into it. It also gives everybody, uh, CIOs and CISOs, the opportunity to fulfill their mission. We know in security, when we look at some of the team culture data, many of us in security work in security because we're very mission driven. We are here to make a difference. As a CIOs actually, and they have a mission of enabling the business, and we have that mission of enabling the business, protecting the customers. So when the two work together, there is magic that can occur. So there's a lot of benefits to that urgency. Good. So I guess, how do you fix it? So if we were to take that third scenario where different reporting structures, it's led to this hostile environment, like how do you go about turning it around? So I think we have to recognize that there's a very human element to all of this and there's a little bit of work to happen at a relationship level. There's a lot of what we ended up calling in our research as intergenerational trauma between the two teams. Like I've said, I've been in security for 25 years and I've seen this over and over again. So we've got to also think, okay, this cycle, whatever is going on, we've got to commit to breaking it. So when we were doing the interviews, the words empathy and trust kept on coming up over and over again in lots of different ways. So I really wanted to drill into that. And specifically when we talk about trust, I was really curious because trust, as we know, we've got the trust imperative at Forrester, we've defined the seven levers of trust, but when people talk about trust at a human level, what do they mean? And it turned out actually, it's not that different from what we define trust at Forrester. They talked about the competence of the SISO, they talked about transparency, they talked about they want to depend on their SISO, they want empathy. Okay, well, what does that look like? So I think step one, empathy. We've just released research with Ali Mellon and Heidi Shea on organizational empathy, and we've created this terrific model that we ended up using in this research, starting with defining and understanding what is the joint vision. And that is something that tech execs and CISOs can start doing together immediately. What do you both care about? Can you co-create a cybersecurity strategy together? A lot of CIOs complain to us about not understanding security lexicon. Okay, well, can you define a common language together? 
There's a lot of listening to be done. That's step two in an empathy model. And it's really interesting. Listening sounds so basic, but then when we drilled into the detail, were regular one-on-ones happening? No. Sizo's regularly sitting on the technology leadership meetings and vice versa. That wasn't always happening, but in some good practices, it was. So listening, number two. Number three, experience. Put yourself in the other person's shoes. I had a lot of CIOs express their wish for secondment opportunities between the two teams. I wish they could come and sit with us for a month, for three months, and vice versa, teams sitting in proximity to each other. From that, I think we can reflect, develop action plans and and start acting and fixing things. Yeah. There are certain levers of the trust imperative that are often misunderstood. I think empathy is one of them. Sometimes people mistake empathy with sympathy. It's not just like feeling sorry for people. Empathy is literally understanding the needs of the individual and the ability to put yourself in their shoes and their experiences. So once you define it, then everything you're talking about makes complete sense. Like, oh, frequent one-on-ones, part of leadership meetings, having shared goals and common visions. So yeah, I think empathy can be quote unquote squishy if you don't define it. But once you define it, then there are pragmatic steps you can take to actually increase it. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And I think that would make a lot of difference. Like those one-on-ones, what some of the things that you would uncover in those. And, you know, and I think going a step further and actually evaluating your relationship. It's really interesting in the workplace. And you know, that squishy thing that you're talking about, Steph, when we were writing the research, I was so worried. I'm like, oh, I'm talking to a bunch of technologists and technology executives and security executives. How am I going to convince them to evaluate their relationships? And it reminded me of, you know, in marriages sometimes when you need to go through the process of marriage counseling and everybody is so reluctant. And it also made me think that in the workplace, we do all sorts of things such as the Maya Briggs survey, management index, but all of those things are very much focused on us as individuals. But I think when you do some of that um, trust relationship evaluation, it's a really good time to take a pause and think about things from another person's perspective, which I think is exactly what's needed here. How are they feeling? How are they experiencing this situation? Is this as awful for them as it is for me? What are they strong in? What are some of their strengths that I can use to maximize? Will they behave or perform in a similar way all of the time? Will they be available and reliable? Am I available and reliable? And I think it's that kind of a relationship lens that's really important to examine as well. In terms of operationally, operationalizing that. I mean, you did say, obviously, the one-on-ones. I mean, actually, interestingly enough, the, uh, I was kind of shocked when you said that in some cases, like the CISOs weren't being invited to oh, yeah. executive leadership meetings. It's like, all right, that seems like a no-brainer to fix. Um, but I'm curious if you found any other organizational changes. Like you mentioned, in some cases, changing the makeup of teams. Is it, I'll just throw something out there. Could you embed more security people in specific technology teams? And we talk about this all the time in development. That's why there's a huge push around sec DevOps. So the more you embed in other teams, um, again, do you increase the empathy and the transparency and accountability and so on? I think definitely embedding and having, you know, we also talk at Forrester about having security champions. So having 
champions within technology who are security champions to champion the cause of security. So if it's not a lot of, but some CIOs mentioned, it's not practical to do uh, job swaps and embed people in the way that we're talking about or to do job secondments, okay, then having a security champions network within technology would be really helpful. So they are people within technology who have a deep interest and care for security, who sit within technology and they can act as a conduit between the technology teams and the security teams and help them bridge that back. So bring information back to the security team. Hey, this is what the tech team is struggling with here. How can we make it easier for them? I think that would be a really quick and easy win for both teams to understand what's happening at an operational level. What's happening right now is that sometimes a project, you know, they undertake a project together. We heard of a CIO talking about a network project that the two teams undertook together and something went wrong. The team stopped talking to each other and one and a half years later, they, that's it. There was a breakdown between the two teams and they had not, forget about the one-on-ones. It was so hostile that nothing was happening between the two teams. And then re-entry at that point is really, really difficult when trust breaks. How would you kind of restart a relationship there? Because there's got to be willing parties on both sides. And if you're kind of dug in, how do you get out of that? Yes. And I think that's where the human to human thing comes really into it. And restart is the perfect word, Jen. We called it in the research repair. So sometimes you do have to acknowledge that there's repair to be done. And I think we proposed a trust relationship assessment to go through and see where is your relationship at right now in terms of trust? How broken is the trust between the two of you actually? And looking at it from your perspective and your counterpart's perspective, um, you get a certain score. And if it is of a certain score, then it is time for repair. You're not building a relationship from scratch. You're not improving a good relationship. It's repair. And then there's questions in that that you can ask, such as how can I learn more about your environment? How can I help you understand my environment? Questions that were proposed to us, such as how much clarity do you have on our roles and responsibilities within cybersecurity? How can we make it clearer if that lack of clarity or roles and responsibility is not there? What do we need? Do we need to do a racy? Do we need, you know, what, what are your suggestions? Is there one or two organizational goals that we can support together? Are there any projects that we should collaborate on? Are there any projects that we should avoid collaborating on? What are the main areas that we're not working well together? Why do you think that's happening? What's at the root cause? And I think these are all very pragmatic questions that you can ask the other person without making them uncomfortable, without putting any discomfort or tension on yourself. But they're important because if you don't, then what happens? It's one and a half years down the track and nothing is happening. At what point does the organization potentially need a clean slate? Like, have you ever seen anybody do anything drastic, which is okay, either one of you two, if you're not willing to work together, one of you has to go. And maybe even doing some house cleaning, if you will, down the ranks. Because one and a half years of not having two critical teams, like working tightly together, like at some point, it's like, you are compromising the security and the reputation of everything. So yeah, I mean, is the CEO stepping in at that point? Like, what? 
Well, thank you both for asking. So I did ask that question in one of my research interviews where the CIO and the CISO were both reporting into someone. I can't remember if it was a CEO or somebody else. And I said, oh, the tech exec described a terrible relationship. And I said, oh, how does your boss cope and deal with that broken relationship? And there was a big pause and a big sigh. And the CIO goes, oof. tells me that they don't know. It's confusing for the person who is leading those two people as well, who are very important and who are fighting with one another. So Steph, I do think there is always a time, and I don't know if that's a time frame or a God forbids when a breach happens or what needs to happen for a big intervention and a clean slate. But what I do also know is that we don't need to wait for that. I think people can take action at that very human to human level and start having some of these human conversations and asking some of those questions about how can we repair our relationship? How can we improve our relationship? How can we make it better? And then there's also a responsibility for those who have nailed this and have got this great relationship of promoting, well, how have we done that? What have been some of our best practices and how can we help and mentor others to make it better for everybody? And I don't think any of those human things are happening. So um, I've certainly seen cases of people getting fired and CIOs and CROs and group management committees intervening. And it's just such a horrible waste of everyone's time and it doesn't look good for anybody. Yeah. And I don't think we'll see a reverse of the trend of the, the CISO reporting outside of IT. I mean, it seems if anything, CISOs are actually becoming chief trust officers, particularly amongst like B2B companies and B2B high tech companies and software companies and, and some regulated industries. We've seen this emerging role where the CISO actually amasses even more responsibilities and morphs from purely security into privacy, resiliency, some other areas of responsibilities. And now suddenly they're the chief trust officer. Yes, that's right, which means that this is something that we need to hurry up and address. Those tensions, um, I don't want to say they can't continue to exist because they always will at some level. It's organisation, it's people, it's politics, but they do need to be minimised and we do need to, as security people, continue to learn that very subtle art of communication and of building trust, that very one-on-one Uh, trust building exercise that's all about people. I I keep on going back to that. This is a very human-centered conversation. There was nothing. When I first started this research, I was expecting something else. I was expecting to start focusing on processes and, you know, how do we make how do we embed security and agile processes a little bit more? That was one of my inquiry questions from a very disappointed CIO, but it turned out to be nothing about processes almost. The processes are just a tool. It was just such a human relationship problem. So can we learn to talk about that more and address the human aspect a little bit more than we have been? Well, so much to unpack here, Janan. I know we're just scratched the surface in this episode, but thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I love the chat. If you like what you heard today, be sure to check out the agenda for our upcoming technology and innovation APAC and EMEA events. For more information, go to for.com slash tech events. That's F-O-R-R dot com slash tech events. Thanks for listening.